Yes, we are back with another episode of the Sock Takes Pod. This is episode 48. It's just a two-man crew today, myself, Kevin Johnston, along with my co-host, Aaron Gunyan. Aaron, what's up, my brother? How's it going? I'm doing great, Kevin. It's good to be here. It's just the two of us. We can make it if we try. Lucky number 48, and I think we're going to kind of bring it back old school and go a little Homer. We're going to do a major Indy 11-focused podcast. We haven't done one of these in a while. Are you ready to go? Do you think we can handle it? Yes, episode 48. We are sponsored, by the way, by Roughneck Scarves. And I think we should do something special, Aaron, for episode 50 when we hit that half-century mark. I haven't really thought of anything yet, but uh, I think we should... I don't know, maybe we could get a good guest or just kind of wigging ourselves and do some off-the-wall stuff. But uh, do you have any ideas for that episode 50? You've been brainstorming? Well, I mean, we could try and and do something like um, my first impression is dedicated to the fans. You know, maybe have some fan, not just questions, but maybe try and have some fan guests. Because the whole reason we're doing this is for the fans anyway. I mean, I can talk to you whenever I want. I don't need to record it and put it on the internet. Certainly, yeah. Maybe we should maybe reach out to a patron. Maybe uh, invite a patron or two to jump on the episode. Um, if not, for it's the a 50th, great idea. Yeah, if not for the fiftieth, definitely do that sometime soon. But speaking of patrons, thank you all. You are what powers the show. And a reminder to everyone that is the number one way to support the Sock Takes Pod is to go to Patreon.com/sockTakes and pledge a monthly recurring donation for as little as $1. So any amount helps. Whatever you can give, we really appreciate. Um, none of us are doing this full-time, so it really helps. Um, when we come home from our day jobs, you know, motivate us to hit that PC, hit that laptop, and, you know, crank something out every night. So And start and, shilling. And never, never stop shilling. And start shilling. So thank you to all of our patrons. Cannot thank you enough. And we're going to go uh, a little bit backwards today. Usually we kind of jump into some questions, some topics, and toward the end we'll go to the Twitter questions. But we got a few good Twitter questions, and we're going to jump immediately to them, um, which that segue was deliberate because we got a couple questions from one of our patrons, one of our uh, most loyal patrons, Scott Grimes. So, Scott, thank you so much. Um, your Twitter, is, Twitter handle is at Scott Grimes on Twitter. And let's just jump right into it, Aaron. So one of Scott's questions, he asks, through eight games, Indy are tied for 28th in the USL with seven goals, with two of those coming from penalty kicks. Is this due to a lack of production from the midfield, poor performance from the forwards, a combination of both, or something else? So Aaron, I'll pitch that one to you. I'm going to start this with an anecdote, a story. About a time not that long ago, I was up in the press box looking down on all the poor, pathetic fans, and I was sitting next to a GM, a beloved GM by the name of Peter Wilt. And at the time, in season two for Indy 11, it was 2015, Eric Norales had just put home his second goal of the season that actually put him into a tie for the lead of goals scored with two goals. And Peter said, he looked at me directly. He wasn't speaking to the press box and he wasn't speaking to anyone else. He said to me, that's not good. And I said, because I had no idea what he was talking about. I said, what, what are you talking about specifically? And he says, 
a defender as our leading scorer. That's not good. No, it was so that's, simple. That's not good. I, I hadn't considered it, and it was so simple, and he was right, and he would still be right today. What we have right now with Indy 11 is a lack of goal scoring, and you have you know, a few players with two goals, but one of them is a defender, and that is not good. So when you ask the question, you know, through eight games, seven goals, two from penalty kicks, is this a lack of production from the midfield? Poor performance It's definitely poor performance. It's a combination of all sorts of things. I think it, it starts with coaching, truthfully. You have to blame the coach at some point for the lack of connectivity and cohesion. And and it, I think for me right now, this week, I've been tempted. I've been toying with this concept. Where, do, where does the blame go? You can't blame everyone at all times. It is a team sport. But I think overall the midfield just isn't getting it done. Here's how I know the midfield isn't getting it done. Through eight games, none of those goals come from midfielders. Through eight games, there are no assists from midfielders. You can break down a lot of other stats, but I think this one's pretty easy. For me, it's it's a glaring issue. We've we've run a lot of players through the midfield. Yeah, there there have been, you know, new faces and, and new positions and other things, but if you put that large combination of midfielders through, somebody at some point is going to have a lucky fluke goal. Somebody is going to beat some, you know, beat a defender. Someone is going to get something to take a lucky bounce, and that's just not happening. Indy 11 in midfield is not offensive-minded enough. You blame the coach. You blame the players. They're not getting it done. That kind of ties right in with another Twitter question. This one is from our good friend Brandon at Brew Wallace, Bloody Shambler, good friend of the program. He asks, Great friend, and he has good questions. Sometimes I disagree with him, but he has good questions today. <laughs> he asks, Rennie is just living up to his reputation, right? Lots of defensive midfielders and pragmatic defensive strategies that earn points rather than lots of goals. Fans, Kevin, you take this one. Sure, sure. Um, and he, and he also adds a comment, fans should forget their dreams of beautiful attacking football. And to, to tackle that <laughs> That's one. That's harsh. Yeah. Zing, is, that a, is that a critique on Rennie? Yeah. I'm asking a question. Is that, that a critique that, on Rennie? Yeah, he slipped that zinger in there. I like that. You know, a lot of times we get the questions and people add a little window dressing. I kind of have to edit some of the, the questions sometimes to, to get people's opinions out of there. But, uh, I like how he just, you know, tag that on the end there. So. To answer your question, Brandon, it's a great question. Um, yes, I do think it is Rennie just living up to his reputation. I think that's absolutely the case of what we're seeing. Um, we we were kind of told by some MLS personnel experts that Rennie was kind of obsessed with defensive midfielders, and I do think that's the case. In fact, sometimes I'm surprised that he hasn't had like three in there like too often. But, you know, he loves to have two in there. Nothing wrong with that. Um, nothing wrong with liking defensive play, period. So uh, a point I want to kind of transition to is that, you know, I think Rennie is a pretty good coach. To be a good coach, you have to have creative ideas, right? So, you know, if seemingly, you know, on, on the surface, you know, it looks like Rennie doesn't have too many attacking ideas, and maybe that's fair. You know, maybe, um, you know, maybe we are stuck with this this kind of slightly boring football that we're seeing. 
But the point I kind of want to make is that I think that Rennie has creative ideas. It's just that his creative ideas tend to come on the defensive side of the ball. So, you know, it's still a way to be a good coach. It's still being, you know, tactically astute, if you will. Um, it's just most people associate, I guess, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's easier uh, with the naked eye to see like offensive adjustment, you know, oh, you bring in a speedy winger and now he's burning people up the flank. You know, it's easy to see that it's, um, it's not quite as, as easy necessarily, especially for like a casual fan um, to necessarily notice with the naked eye if there's a, a defensive adjustment being made. So um, to support my, my, my kind of theory there about his defensive creative ideas, <clears throat> I'll take you back to the, the Nashville SC game, a game that the Indy 11 won 2-1. Um, after the game, Rennie told me, quote, I wanted to shut that side down a little more, Rennie explained. Because of his good defensive work, that happened. And then also, I think the game changed a little bit at that point. I don't know if you could sense that, but we got a lot of our chances once he went to the right. That's Tyler Pasher, by the way. And that meant the fullback had a different look, and he's quite comfortable playing on the right, coming inside. And that actually, I think, was when the momentum in the second half changed, and then the game became a little easier for us. I think he can do right, left, or left back, so that's, an, so that's nice for a coach to have. And that was after Tyler Pasher had a very strong performance. He started on the, as left midfielder. Uh, he really caused headaches for Nashville SC was a threat throughout. Uh, and then Indy had just a one goal lead and Rennie's creative idea, you know, another coach might have said, oh, you know, Pasher's really been a dominant force this game. Let's make a focus and, um, and keep feeding him the ball. Maybe he can even get in farther behind the defense, get in more often, you know, if we kind of uh, make it a, a point of emphasis to to funnel the ball to the left a little bit more. So, you know, some some coaches might have had that thought and gone for, hey, instead of instead of milking this 2-1 to one lead, let's go for 3-1. Let's go for 4-1. Let's put the nail in the coffin and, and seal this thing up. But, uh, like I said, I think Rennie's a good coach. And if you look at his defense, I believe it's currently ranked second in the USL. So he believes in not exposing his back line. And whether you like it or not, you know, it's proven to be effective thus far. And, the Indy 11 have had a very difficult strength of schedule, and they're getting results. Um, and, yeah, to, to add a little more context to what I was saying, um, yeah, so Pasher started on the left, was very dynamic, and then Rennie's idea was he saw, um, I forget which, which players it was on Nashville, but a couple guys were kind of getting in behind on the right side, and just what he saw from the game, you know, that light bulb went off in his head, and it was, oh, let's shore up the defense even more. So he moved Pasher, who was the biggest threat on the field that day, over to the right, specifically for his defense and his recovery ability, which he is very good at. And you know what? Sure enough, it worked. You know, that's why I think Rennie's a pretty decent coach. And it wasn't an exciting idea. If, if you were enjoying watching Pasher attacking incessantly on the left side that day, you know, it probably wasn't going to excite you too much to see him go play defense on the right side. But you know what? That's what Rennie does. And on that particular occasion, it worked. Um, sweet baby. Let's go back to another Twitter question because we have several to get to. We don't have too much time. Um, let's. This one is from president of the Brickyard Battalion, uh, Josh Mason. So I've heard Josh, of him. He's been on the pod before. You might have heard of him. Great guy. Great talker, too. That guy really should uh, host his own pod. So 
great friend of the show, does a lot of things for the community, um, great leader, great vo voice of the BYB. Anyway, Josh Mason, Mason asks, how do we address the midfield play with the current roster? That question is to me, I guess, is what you're saying. Yes. Josh, it's, a, it's an excellent question. It's a fantastic idea. How do we address it? I'm not 100% sure, right? We don't know who the best players are because we haven't seen all of the players get comfortable minutes. Brew Wallace, uh, also knows Brandon, brought up another point on Twitter today, and he was and he was dead on. Some of the players that we have seen the most of are the players that we're the most unfamiliar with as professionals. So I'm talking specifically about Nico Mattern. Um, I don't think he's had a terrible showing as an Indy 11 uh, central midfielder, but he's chewed up a lot of minutes. And with the lack of productivity and with the, the amount of minutes that he's had, I think you have to give somebody else a chance. Who do you put into his spot and, and who do you pair with him if you need to is, is another question. When we started the season, everybody says, in the 11, they're looking great, super deep in midfield. And I think that might still be the case. There are a lot of players that can play in midfield. But for whatever reason, we're not getting a lot of rotation in that one specific spot. I know it's happened a little bit lately. I can't remember the specific number, but I think Nico has started seven times already. And another player who is the captain of the Indy 11, Matt Watson, has appeared in seven of eight games. I, I think he's come off the bench twice in the 60th minute or something like that. So we're, we're shuffling players around, and, and we're not able to see who our favorites are. And, and here's one critique of Coach Rennie. Now, I will tell you this. He is getting results, and I think Indy 11 fans will be happy with where they are on the table. And I think that, you know, even getting some lucky bounces, things could be going a lot worse for the team. And I, I don't think we're anywhere near the panic button, but I think it's very clear to see offensively Indy 11 is not getting it done, and, and they have been exposed a few times. And, and while they've had clean sheets specifically on the road, not enough – not enough going forward to, to keep anybody's attention span. One thing I would like to see is, is new pairings in, in the midfield. We have an excellent central midfielder by the name of Brad Ring who has been playing out of his mind at right back, and, and maybe you can't move him from there, but he has tremendous experience and even captain. He's a vice captain of the team. He's captained in the 11 before and at a very similar level. I don't know why a player like Nico is getting minutes over Brad Ring. This is where my critique comes from of Coach Martin Rennie. He might not know who his best players are and where they're best suited. And I think maybe some of his pride is, is getting in the way. There are other players like uh, Ben Spees, for example, who started early because of, I assume, his relationship with the coach from, from previous you know, stints in his professional career, but Ben might not be an appropriate starter for for this league, and he was played in the wrong position when he was making his first start of the season out wide. Now, Ben Spees has seen a lot of time for Indy 11 out wide, but if I ever see Ben Spees on the field, I want to see him in the center, and he needs to be um, 
at the top of an attacking diamond or, you know, at, in the middle of a 4-2-3-1. He needs to be just under the forwards, and he needs to be able to access the ball from all sides. That's how he's the most valuable to us. Tyler Pasher is a is a player that Coach Martin Rennie is trying to figure out exactly what to do with him. We all know we want to see him on the field. He does have some trickery. He does have some pace, and, and I think he's earned a starting role on the team. When the season began, he was a defender. Now he's a midfielder, and we don't know which side he's best suited on. Uh, he's, he's a left-footed player, so do you like him on the left foot, you know, on the left side or, or the other way, and, and do you like to be able to exploit matchups? So the coach is still learning his players. My, my critique is, well, when are you done learning your players? You're with them every single day in practice. We're eight games in now. We had some bye weeks. We had preseason. I don't know what more this coach needs to see and what more film he needs to have in order to understand that you should never not have Justin Braun on field somewhere near another forward as a target. Like, how do you not know that? I understand Justin's coming back from injury. So I've danced a lot around Josh's question. How do we address the problems in the midfield? Well, we have to teach the coach who the best players are, and maybe the players need to step up. A player who started early on, and I'm not sure exactly, I'm not sure what to make of it, and a player that I was looking forward to, and a player that I think who's gotten much better is Zach Steinberger. I went looking through the numbers to find reason to either dog Steinberger or, or be a great supporter of his. I couldn't really get behind it either way. I think Zach's passing in the attacking half is some of the best on the team. So keep that up. But I haven't seen a lot of shots and I haven't seen a lot of dangerous moves inside setting up other players. You look at what the the problem is for Indy 11 is right now, there are not enough players that can receive a ball in the midfield, turn and make an attacking move and then pass forward. Too many players, this includes Nico, this includes Matt Watson, this includes Zach Steinberger, are either passing laterally or passing backwards. I think this is a coaching philosophy and mentality. I think the the team is trying to play everything safe, and maybe it's too safe. We have lots of points, and, and you noted this, Kevin, you noted this yourself. It's just they're not pressing that aggressive button to go up another goal. And... Indy 11 has only chased in two different games. It happens to be the same opponent. It was FC Cincinnati. They chased a couple times to FC Cincinnati, and and that's the only time we've really gotten to see them have to be desperate. The rest of the time, if Indy 11 scores a goal, that's all they think they need, and they're going to sit back and really bunker and take that one goal lead to uh, to the bus, whatever they need to do. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and we'll we'll get to talking about Indy 11 personnel a little more here in a moment. Quickly, I want to do a very, very brief preview of the Indy 11's U.S. Open Cup match coming up. We are recording this Tuesday night, so we don't want to waste too much time previewing a match since many of you probably won't hear this until the game's already been played. So anyway, the game is tomorrow, uh, Wednesday night at 8 p.m., in Mississippi against Mississippi Brilla FC of the PDL. 
They're a very solid squad. In 2017, they finished second in the Mid-South Division in the PDL Southern Conference. With an impressive record of nine wins uh, with three draws and only two defeats. So they were very solid last year. I'm not sure how much... Um, how many of the same guys are back or exactly what their roster looks like this year. They've only played one match so far in 2018. It was a draw against Memphis City FC. Um, they now switch conferences. As I mentioned last year, they were in the Mid-South Division. This year, they're in the Deep South Division. And in fact, um, like Indy 11, there's really not much of a, a turnaround rest advantage for either team. Both teams will play this weekend following the Wednesday match. And in fact, Mississippi Brilla FC will be rematching Memphis City FC, which was the, the team they draw. They um, they do a quick home and home to start the season, it looks like. So um, I'm not sure exactly what to expect. Um, I do predict that the Indy 11 will get a result just because I think uh, Indy's bench is strong enough that no matter what squad kind of takes the pitch tomorrow night, I think it'll be enough to get the dub, but just like the Indy 11 learned with the Michigan Bucks last year, you know, things can happen in the Open Cup. If you take a team lightly, if you show up on the road, tough surface to mm. play on, and you're not focused, mm. you'll take an L. So, not Oh, that was enough. total lack of focus. Oh, man. Michigan Bucks, you want to open up a wound and pour salt into it. Yes. That, is that was an embarrassment. Salt. Yeah, and I think, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I think there were only two total... Um, upsets of as far as a PDL team uh, conquering uh, Division Two or higher team. So anyway, uh, the Michigan Bucks were one of the teams to do it to the Indy 11 last year. And if Indy doesn't show up prepared to play at Mississippi Brilla FC, then you know they potentially could fall once again because this is not a team to take lightly. Uh, like I said, they were second in their conference last year. Um, I imagine they didn't take a huge step back. Just because, you know, kind of like the Michigan Bucks, they're solid every year. They just have a good pipeline of talent, good college players coming in. So um, definitely looking forward to that game. But like I said, we don't want to preview it too extensively. So we'll kind of leave it at that because most of you, by the time you hear this, probably have already seen the game. So moving back to what we were saying, let's jump back to a Twitter question, Aaron. This is another one from our good buddy at Scott Grames, patron of ours. He says, I'm interested to hear on a scale of 1 to 10 your assessments of the following departments so far. Goalkeeping, defense, midfield, forward, and coaching. So, Aaron, do you want to tackle this one first? Yeah, I mean, we we did harp on midfield, so I'm going to skip it a little bit. Okay. Other than, that. yeah. And, and I want to jump in and say one last thing to address to Josh's question as far as personnel in the midfield, I'm done looking at Nathan Lewis. I don't need to see more of him. If he's playing, it had better be because many people are injured. He squanders too many opportunities with the amount of minutes he's had, the number of opportunities, the times he's been on the field, he's got three chances created. He's had 12 crosses. Only 8% of those have been completed. He has five shots, one of them on goal. Nathan Lewis is where possession goes to die. And I'm done taking a look at him. But let's talk about goalkeeping. Here's an interesting thing. I don't know exactly the, the number off the top of my head, but Williams has been doing fine 
he hasn't really been tested. He has one of the lower numbers of saves in the league. The The amount of shots he's faced is pretty ridiculous. And I know I'm a little obsessed with FC Cincinnati and, and Louisville FC, but I know for a fact he has faced less, less shots than both of the keepers for those teams. He just isn't being tested. So we don't know how good or how bad he is. He has a PK save. Uh, he's he's been doing fine, but he's only had maybe twelve saves total on the year. It couldn't be more than that. And aside from his passing, which which maybe is a little suspect in, in his clearances, I think he's doing just fine. Moving on to defense, yeah, you well, absolutely sorry, can. Sorry to interrupt, but uh, let's put oh, a number yeah. on it and. Um... Let's just, I guess we'll go back and forth, maybe share our, our thoughts on each oh, of okay. the categories. But, okay, um, yeah, yeah, let's do that. Uh, Scott, you know, he, he's demanding, we got to put it on that 1 to 10 scale. So I'm going to say the goalkeeping myself has been a 7. I think Fawn Williams has done a, a fine job. To make a, a baseball comparison, if you talk about quality starts from your starting pitcher, I feel like he's he's put in um he, he's turned in a, a quality start every outing except one i believe it was one of the fc cincy games he had kind of a rough game one shot he probably could have got a fingertip on but was a little bit late um to dive kind of maybe the turf monster got him and he didn't quite get a, as great of a jump on it as he wanted but um besides that one game where fun williams struggled against fc cincinnati i think he's had a quality start in every other match so, but like you said, he hasn't had an incredible amount of saves or he hasn't, um, well, and he's only conceded five goals altogether. So, I mean, this is a defensive thing. I mean, mm-hmm. one was a PK. Another one was a point blank cross put away. I mean, these are not, these are not his fault. Yeah, I agree. And we'll, we'll get to the defense here in a second. Maybe that's probably why, uh, our listeners, you'll hear maybe a higher grade there, but yeah, due to Fon Williams not having been tested a lot, um, are we in agreement? Do you think maybe a seven is is a good score for for the goalkeeper? I can't go higher than eight. I can't go higher than eight, but okay, seven fair. sounds fine. Fair enough. And then what about that that defense? You've been impressed, and what number would you give them? I've I've been impressed. So same as the midfield, just rotating players in and out, like brigading or platooning or whatever you call it. Next man up. The defense has performed. Aside from one week, uh, just flawlessly. Clean sheets, protecting the goalie. Uh, Fawn Williams has not had a tremendous amount of work to do, like we've said. You know, Indy 11 keepers have been uh, really tested in the past sometimes because defenses are doing this bend, don't break thing. And I think that Indy 11 defense right now still might employ a little bit of a bend don't break maybe a little bit bit of a bunker ball, but they're, they're really not getting broken down too terribly often when they do get broken down, they do get broken down on their left flank, which, which is an issue defensively. And I think maybe the team has talked about it. I've noticed one player in particular, Iozzi isn't super fond of closing down space, but the defense as a whole, as a unit has performed outstanding. The last time I checked, there were something like eight different players who'd made appearances on the defensive line. That's kind of a lot. You know, that's that's a tremendous amount of rotation. They should have fresh legs, but some of them are still injured. One of the players that's favored, I believe, and is a starter when he's when he's healthy is Ferreira, and we haven't seen him for many weeks, and it's kind of unknown when he will return. He's kind of been flirting with the healthy list for a couple weeks and um, player or um, 
fans ask regularly about injury reports, and this is one of the hardest teams to get locked down on where injured players stand in their recovery process. So I think if he's healthy, he comes in, and that can only strengthen a team with Mitchell and and now you got to look at is Brad Ring favored over Venegas on the right side? The the defense is absolutely a nine and a half or a ten. Five goals allowed. The keeper has had almost nothing to do all season. Yeah, I'll give him a nine myself. I've been very impressed. Um, and quick jump over our, our good buddy at Brew Wallace. Um, he also asked for an injury report on a couple guys. Um, but yeah, just to touch on that, I think. Um, a good interview with uh, Martin Rennie and Greg Rakestraw on the most recent Soccer Saturday episode on 1070 The Fan. I think they touched on Pasture's status a little bit, maybe a couple other guys. But, um, yeah, unfortunately, I haven't been to training recently to see who's healthy, nor have I been able to talk to the coach since the last game. So, unfortunately, neither one of us has a great injury update. But jumping right back to the, the rankings we were in the middle of, I agree with you for the defense. You've got to go nine. I've been very impressed with Carlisle Mitchell. Um, he's kind of been the Iron Man back Absolutely. there. Um, Absolutely. Solid as a rock. And uh, Carl, we met. You ran some stats by me uh, recently, Aaron. And he's been very impressive as far as, you know, some of the, the, the recording counting stats that, you know, defenders strive for, like, you know, interceptions, clearances, stuff like that. So Yeah, and- tackles and tools one. I think he's been busting up. A tremendous amount of plays. I think a, a ton of the success of the the defense has come from two players, Carl Wiemet and uh, Carlisle Mitchell, who have been doing outstanding together. There there can be no complaints right now from the defense. True. And um, shout to Brad Ring. There seems to be kind of a platoon going on at the right back spot. Kevin Venegas wasn't healthy to start the season. He missed the first several games. Now he is back healthy. Uh, Brad Ring shifted from his normal CDM spot over to right back based on need earlier this season, and he's looked pretty sharp there. And it kind of seems like guys are rotating right now. Maybe whoever has the, the better week of practice is kind of getting the nod at this point. But anyway, it's a good platoon to have. It seems like both guys can get the job done. Venegas seems to be more of a more capable of getting forward when needed, whereas Ring more instinctually is more of a stay-at-home right back that um, is happy to help out in the midfield and also help out um, with possession in the center of the pitch and stuff like that. So it's a kind of a different look depending on which guy's out there, but I've been impressed with that rotation at right back. Um, and then another guy, Tyler Pasture, who's masqueraded at left back for the first few games. Um, has since been converted to a midfielder, as we talked about earlier already. So let's jump into the midfield now, Aaron. That I agree, I'd go nine or nine point five for the defense, um, based on you know, based on what you see, based on the numbers. It's hard to really go too much lower than that, in my opinion. So, well, um, when you consider how weak the midfield has been, and how the midfield has has been skipped over and doesn't provide much cover in possession. And when you consider how much the defense is asked to do as far as, you know, clearances and long balls, I think it's, it's a no brainer, probably, you know, the best defense in the league, considering they're just not getting the help they need from midfield, which is going to get a very bad score from me. We talk about, you know, things of the eyeball test and, and, you know, some player or some fans, I keep saying players, that's odd. Some people, let's call them people. Some people are saying, 
Indy 11 is resorting to long ball, and they don't like the long ball strategy. Well, I, I got to tell you, I can't imagine that the coach is really trying to employ that. It's not working. What's happening, if you watch the play develop, is uh, a ball will come, you know, possession style on the ground out of the defensive third into midfield, and somebody like Nico will receive it and make a very, very well-calculated pass right back to the defense. Well, the ball only made 15 yards forward, and then it goes 15 yards back, and it's really easy for opponents to adjust to that and put extra pressure then on that back line. So a ball from Brad Ring up to Matt Watson goes right back to Brad Ring, and Brad Ring has no option but to boot the ball long because he doesn't want to cough it up in his defensive third, and he doesn't want to swing it back across his own goal when the opponents are crashing all of the players in a very predictable move. It's it's painstaking, or it's it's painful to watch when you see a team become so predictable in in midfield. So what I need to see from the midfield is to be able to receive a ball, turn and attack some space, or make an aggressive pass forward and really keep a defense honest. Right now, in the 11's midfield is just not good enough at turning. There is no question that some players in the middle have, have prevented attacks from going forward uh, in both directions, really. There's no question that you know a player like Nico has has provided extra cover for the back four. There's no question that other players checking back and helping out have attributed to the, the stellar numbers that Indy 11's defense has had. But I'm not seeing enough chances created. I'm not seeing enough players making sensational passes or even dangerous passes into space that the forwards can run onto. What, what I see a lot of is lateral movement and, and back passes that just kill any forward momentum. This midfield, the way we've seen it, productivity-wise, has to get, I don't know, a four. I mean, just, it's not good. I can't give you a five. A five, I would say, I think I'm being generous at four. I might call it a three. Kevin, you go ahead. I'm going to give it a five. And You can't do that. I just said you can't do that. I just said you can't do that. <laughs> I'm going to give it a five, and here's why. I'm also going to uh, praise Martin Rennie here for a bit because, you know, we've been a little negative kind of about his tactics, but to, to harp on a point earlier, you know, I mean, defense is half of the game. He seems to be a very astute defensive coach. And um, Oh, sure. One thing I want to point out is – I just gave uh, the defense a 10. Yeah, but also the midfield deserves credit for the defense also. You know, those clean sheets aren't just the goalkeeper and the back four. So the midfield's helped out. They get some credit for that defense as well. And one thing I want to point out um, to tie in Rennie's strategy – I don't think it's too incredibly dumb to start this season um, always leaning um, on the way of caution defensively. Reason being is, you know, home advantage comes in many shapes and sizes. Uh, most notably, you get, you know, the adrenaline boost from the home fans. You get the uh, the comfort factor of waking up in your, your own home, you know, short drive to the stadium or whatever. Um, and then, you know, there's also, depending on the sport, a surface advantage or, you know, if it's basketball, uh, a familiarity, familiarity with the rims or, you know, just certain angles of what's behind the basket or whatever. Um, some, you know, some hitters will say like certain ballparks, 
uh, or in their home ballpark, there'll be a different background with the wall and they see the ball a little bit better or whatever. So um, anyway, sorry for rambling. What I'm trying to say is the, the Indy 11, as far as that, that last tidbit I mentioned about having a surface advantage, I believe that's kind of out the window that the decision to move to Lucas Oil happened so quickly and so close to the season that it's almost, well, first of all, it's hard enough to play on a visiting surface. So being in a new league, every time the 11 take the pitch on another team's city, you know, it's always, almost always an unfamiliar surface. You know, some guys have probably, you know, other guys have USL experience. They've probably played on certain fields before. But for the most part, just as a team, when you're traveling, it's, you know, the first time that this unit has been together playing on that field. And it's very similar playing at home, except for, you know, you still get the motivation. You still wake up in your own bed. But that surface at Lucas Oil, I've harped on this before, it is very difficult to play on. It's a tiny pitch. Um, the ball bounces a lot. Um, it it, it kind of also slows down more than you would expect while bouncing. It's hard to explain, but um, it, it certainly does not look like a simple surface to play on. So the Indy 11, to a certain extent, you, you know, both of their losses have come at home to a very good FC Cincy team. But they almost don't have any advantage playing on the surface because, you know, it's not like a traditional home field where, oh, you know, for example, the Indy 11 played at Carroll Stadium previously to Lucas Oil. Every Friday, they would go do a full training session. It, it was lighter, of course, because the game was the following day. But um, every day prior to a game, they would have a session at Carroll Stadium, at the mic, you know, on that surface that they would be playing on. And I'm sure Indy does get some training in, but it's not the same as having played on a surface for multiple years and trained on it, you know, so many times. Uh, so to some extent, the Indy 11 don't necessarily have a huge home advantage. And like I said, it's so difficult to play on that surface and it takes a while to adjust. I think, you know, I'm hoping that later in the season we'll see a team that looks a little sharper in the midfield, but given how difficult it is to play on that surface, I think it's it's unreasonable to expect the Indy 11 to look just like Wizards throughout the midfield in every game. So I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt a little bit. And I think that, you know, like I said, to praise Rennie a little bit, I think that is kind of practical and it makes sense to uh, say, hey, you know, we're not even really familiar with our own surface, let alone everyone else's. So let me just get a couple CDMs in there. Um, not ever let them push too far in the attack. Make sure that they're really giving that back for a uh, nice cover. And so I think that's the focus. And that's, you know, that's what has come first. And I think slowly throughout the year, the midfield will start clicking more and more. I don't think we'll ever be this, you know, high scoring, high flying squad. But uh, I think uh, part of me thinks that what Rennie has done to start the year is smart. Uh, do you agree or disagree with that? Um, and go ahead yeah well i can be quick that i do agree that it could be very advantageous to have taken points when they've gotten them i think i don't want to use the word lucky but i think the the phrase that i keep using over and over is pleased indy 11 are pleased maybe pleasantly surprised to have gotten some of the results that they've gotten they've had to bunker down a few times and they've They've given up some shots to opposing teams that have hit crossbars and had things bounced and deflected in another way. 
you know, different results could have happened. A, a couple draws extra on the road or even flat out losses instead of a zero zero draw. So Indy 11 has done what they've needed to do to get where they are. They should be happy and they should also be asking for more because I don't think that that type of success is sustainable. But as far as if your strategy is to play it safe and get points when you can and make sure that you're in a good position to get into the playoffs, I think Rennie is doing that. And I don't think he should make too many apologies for that as long as the team is progressing and and building and getting stronger and, and the chemistry is improving, I don't think he should have a problem. I'm not seeing the chemistry improving at this, this stage, and I'd like to see more. So we still have to touch on the forward core and the coaching. So before we do the forwards, we've talked enough about Rennie. We've dissected him enough. So let's just put a number on it real quick, Aaron, and then we'll jump to the forward. So I'm going to give Rennie a six. Uh, six and a half, maybe. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm being too generous. Maybe you'll be harsher, Aaron. But like I said, it's just not exciting football thus far. But, you know, I think it kind of makes sense, the approach that he's taking. And I'm optimistic that Indy 11 will look a little smoother in the middle and the final third of the pitch going forward. And it's probably not going to happen overnight. There are, you know, plenty, plenty of bumps in the road in the attack so far. But, you know, the, you can't argue with the results. The strength of schedule has been absurd. So to be sitting currently in the top eight, having played that schedule, and still not, you know, not seeming to have played your best football yet, um, I can't go below a six for Rennie. Um, what do you think, Aaron? Yeah, I was actually going to be a lot more generous. I was I was feeling seven, just like on the tip of my tongue. There was no chance oh. of me not saying seven. The results the results speak for themselves in this case. It doesn't mean I can't ask for more, and it doesn't mean that I'm completely satisfied. The strength of schedule you bring up, we we bring up on the Groovy Power Index once a week. Indy eleven is actually, I believe, in third on the Power Index, maybe for, third just ahead of Louisville and uh, just behind FC Cincinnati playing teams that strong and getting results and, and being where you are is, is a big deal. But I still don't think the coach knows his best players and the best way to play. I still see players retreating intentionally. I still see bending and not breaking. I still see bunker ball and that doesn't make me super happy. Uh, so I can say those things and still give him a seven because he is getting the job done. And what about those forwards? I think when you say the forwards, I think we have to kind of narrow it down to just a pair of players. We have to call it Sunni Saad and Jack McInerney for right now. And the two of them are, they're getting enough shots. I think we would like to see some more test keepers and things, but I don't think that as the season progresses, I don't think it'll be that weird and it won't be that odd to see both of them climbing the charts and goals scored. I don't know how frequently they'll be paired together, but you and I mentioned this just yesterday. I think Jack Mack is good for 10 goals, no problem. I think Sunni Saad can break out some braces, you know, before anybody even knows what's happened. 
his free kicks may have been found out, so I think he's on the scouting report right now. But he's he's shown us several times that the, that first goal was not a fluke. He can smack the crap out of that ball, and uh, he is going to be dangerous if given the right opportunities in the right situations. I still blame the midfield for not getting enough chances and the right quality of chances to the forwards. But as far as their play, six or seven, not so bad. Uh, both of them have two goals and maybe an assist. They're required to do different things. You know, Sunni Saad is taking a lot of free kicks and a lot of corner kicks, so he's not, he's going to be in different mixes here and there. And Jack McInerney is also providing a more of a nuisance role as, you know, a number nine who's pestering the back line and, and really getting after people in a different way. His job is not always to check in and make sure he gets the ball. So I don't have a ton of complaints. I would like to see more goals go in. Obviously, Indy 11 has seven goals out of eight games. I don't think that's going to be enough to really move the needle on anybody over the course of an entire season. I think Indy 11 might be slightly overrated in the Groovy Power Index, but they have beaten teams on the road which is where you really get points. And they also beat Louisville City, which is uh, a fantastic opponent to get a W against. Yeah, I'll give the forwards a seven. They're certainly not scoring goals in bunches, but like you said, they both have multiple goals on the young season. Um, I mean, what I think is I'd like to see a midfielder get on, get in on the action. You know, Iose has converted a couple penalties, and besides that, it's mostly been Saad and Jack Mack. Uh, I think Pasher maybe has one goal, uh, but I'd mm, like to see that's a, true. A, I'd like to see a Steinberger goal. I'd like to see a Nathan Lewis goal. You know, I'd like to see uh, one of those. You're not going to see a Nathan Lewis goal. <laughs> and if you do see a Nathan Lewis goal, I will not change my stance. I'm done. <laughs> Anyway, um, yeah, or I'd like to see one of the central midfielders, you know, step up, you know, kind of support the attack, maybe oh, decide, hey, you know, let me jump in here and uh, hit this seam and make a hard run and, you know, see if I can kind of clean the play up and find a goal or something. So um, I can't put the lack of scoring on the forwards necessarily. Um, you know, we gave of all the categories, we ranked, I think, the midfield the lowest. And to start the year, that's where we thought the strength of the Indy 11 was, if I'm not mm. mistaken. Right, Aaron? We were raving kind of about yeah. the midfield depth. So, um, yeah, yeah that's, is, that's irony for you. That is certainly irony. So we'll wrap we'll wrap, wrap things up here in a second. Uh, really quickly, let's preview very, very briefly the Saturday game. Of course, the Indy 11 return home. Uh, back to USL action against Bethlehem Steel, 8 p.m. kickoff at Lucas Oil Stadium. The Steel currently are out of the top eight. They're not above the playoff line in the Eastern Conference. They they have kind of an unimpressive record of two wins, two draws to go with four L's. Um, but their goal differential on the season is only minus one. So if you're a believer in that that all important GD category. You know, they look like a 500 team, um, despite the fact that they've lost half of their matches. Um, I don't know how much you know about the steal, um, Aaron. So if you have any thoughts you want, you want to add, feel free to jump in. I know they have uh, quite a bit of talent. Maybe it hasn't gelled yet, but they've got a, a very nice center back pairing. Uh, Matthew 
Mahoney and Brandon Aubrey, two solid guys that they're not necessarily world beaters, but they play heavy minutes. They're paired together just about every match I think that I've seen, and they're solid as a rock. They're certainly um, not a leaky pair. Um, they also have Eric Ayuk. He's not getting heavy minutes, but I've actually seen that guy score a goal live in Chicago, I believe, when he was playing for Philadelphia Union against the Fire. So um, if Ayuk, um, he might even be on a call-up to the senior team. I'm not sure. Uh, I noticed he wasn't in the 18 last match. Maybe he's hurt or whatever. But another player to watch is central midfielder Derek Jones. Very smooth. Um, he can help you in the attack. I think he's got a couple goals on the year. But he can also play as like a true CDM in a 4-2-3-1. So I guess when he scores, it's kind of a icing on the cake, you know, for what um, he brings to the table. And they also got a great forward in Brandon Allen, who used to score goals in bunches for New York Red Bulls too. He got loaned out to Minnesota United FC toward the end of last year, maybe the middle of last year. I don't think he ever got much of an opportunity. Uh, didn't play hardly any MLS minutes, but that shows you his caliber that of where he's capable of going and, you know, probably his ultimate ceiling is at that next level. So have you gotten to watch any Bethlehem Steel this year? And um, what are your impressions, if so, Aaron? I haven't gotten any chance to watch Bethlehem Steel, but I'm going to plug the Groovy Power Index one more time and just let some people have it. Go for Based it. on... Just based on the rankings where, where we are, Indy 11, number three. And this Groovy Power Index, by the way, factors in strength of schedule, factors in, pardon me, home and away results, factors in a number of different things, all in flux that can be calculated and recalculated, always updating, always changing. Indy 11 and third, you have Bethlehem Steel 23rd ranking, and uh, they actually dropped a spot from last week to this week. Indy 11 has beaten North Carolina FC. North Carolina is currently 19, and they have also beaten Richmond Kickers at ranking number 26. I think if you put Bethlehem Steel at number 23 in between those two teams that Indy 11's already beaten, I'm telling you that they should be beaten. I'm going to go out on a limb based on no actual visual check and no other statistical analysis whatsoever. And I will say Indy 11 will beat Bethlehem Steel anytime they match up, and especially at home at Lucas Oil Stadium. The, the fans need, need to see this, and I think everybody's ready for it. Indy 11 might be slightly overrated, but they are better than this team based on strength of schedule, opponents, home and away results. Well, that about wraps up this edition of the Sock Takes Pod. Quick reminder, game tomorrow, Wednesday night, the Indy 11 takes the pitch in the U.S. Open Cup at Mississippi Brilla FC, 8 p.m. kickoff. Then the Indy 11 return home Saturday to face Bethlehem Steel, 8 p.m. at Lucas Oil Stadium uh, in a return to USL regular season action. This has been episode 48 and big thanks to our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier of MLS, USL, and U.S. soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. If you're wondering about, um, we announced earlier, a pod guest, the armchair analyst, senior writer of MLSsoccer.com, Matt Doyle. 
he had a bit of a conflict and had to push his appearance back. So good news. We will be back with another episode of the Sock Takes Pod next week with Matt Doyle. Should be a great one. So definitely check that out. Also want to thank all of our patrons. As a reminder, that is the number one way to support the show. Visit patreon.com slash socktakes. Also jump over to our iTunes and leave us a five-star review. That really helps with the visibility of the show. Much thanks to all who do that. And like I said, big pod next week. Really excited about it. Um, Going to have tons of MLS talk probably with Doyle on the show. So definitely check that out. We'll let you go. And until next time, we wish everyone a fabulous, fabulous night. And be sure to watch plenty of footy. Bye.